This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Wednesday, the 17th of January 2024. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. In half an hour, we're going to discuss the outcome of the Iowa caucus and whether anything can derail the Trump presidential train heading into November. But as always, we're going to recap how global markets closed overnight. U.S. markets were all closed down in the red. The Dow was down. 0.6%, S&P 500 down 0.4%, Nasdaq down 0.2%. Over in Asia, the Nikkei was down 0.8%, Hang Seng down 2.2%, but the Shanghai Composite was up 0.3%. Unfortunately, Singapore STI down 0.5% and back home, FBMKLCI also down 0.5%. We said goodbye to 1500. <laughs> not for long, I hope. We're not too far away from it. Hopefully, we'll, we'll grasp it back again. But uh, in any case, for some insights into what could be moving Moving international markets in the days ahead. We speak to Carlos Casanova, senior economist at UBP. Carlos, good morning. Let us start with China because we do have comments uh, uh, from Premier Li at the World Economic Forum. Uh, he said that China's economy grew at 5.2% in 2023, surpassing their official target of the year. Were you surprised by this outperformance? Good morning. So, well, First of all, we will not know until China releases um, its numbers later today. Um, I am not surprised because 5.2% is also my forecast. Mm. So that would be great. Um, but um, no, in essence, no. I think we we were on track to meet 5.2% um, given the stronger performance in the third quarter. And then there was this uh, you know, risk um, that the fourth quarter would be very disappointing because we had uh, one month um, November, that was a little bit choppy, but um, we had stronger data in October. Preliminary indicators for December are showing, you know, a, a mixed bag, but they're mm. showing res- some resilience in consumption, um, some resilience in, in exports, um, some weakness on the manufacturing front, of course. Um, and, and so we did expect that it would be sort of flattish. We do expect that it's going to be flattish sequentially um, and around 5.0% in year-on-year terms, which should mean that Due to that base effect in the second quarter, remember, growth was very strong in the second quarter. It shouldn't be an issue for China to exceed that 5% target this year. Mm. I think the bigger question is, uh, what are they going to do about growth next year? And is that why they're still planning to issue more stimulus with $139 billion uh, of special bonds? That's according to Bloomberg. That's right. So for me, what I'm looking at is, um, you know, heading into next year, you know, they, they, they clearly cannot afford to have growth below 4%. Um, when that happens, um, you see uh, an exacerbation of structural factors, meaning um, companies start to have real issues uh, with their debt repayment, and you have an increase in, in insolvencies, and you have a very sharp increase in unemployment, especially youth unemployment. Remember, earlier this year, they actually cancelled that data because it was so controversial. Um, and so they have to set a target that is above 4% um, and probably below 5% because it's, it's difficult for them to, to even you know reach that 5% target. Um, so with everything that's happening in the housing sector, I think in order for them to stay within that range um, and um, you know ensure that there's a recovery in consumption, they will need to do more policy easing um, going into next year. So I think that's part of what you're seeing. Mm. Um, and of course, with... Um, uh, the concerns around local government financing vehicle debt uh, coming to the fore in 2024, that means they will also not be able 
to be as aggressive on the monetary policy front. So fiscal is really taking um, you know, the, prom- the more prominent role um, with the next leg. So we are, you are going to see a lot more fiscal stimulus with monetary remaining supportive, but in the background. Okay, Carlos, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Your annual forecast for GDP growth in China for this year is 4.5%. So uh, w- with fiscal stimulus being in the forefront of driving economic growth, what sectors do you see actually benefiting? Benefiting? Are they going back to the old economic model of building their way out of a recession? Yes, um, they are and they aren't. Um, so I think that um, you are going to see um, a lot more investment and expansion in new economy sectors like EVs, where we are seeing already double digit, about 26% um, investment growth in that sector in 2023. Um, and things like uh, advanced manufacturing. Um, these sectors, of course, account for a smaller chunk of GDP. It's around 12 to 15% by some estimates compared to the old drivers of growth, like the housing sector, which account for both directly and indirectly about 20% of GDP. And so, you know, even if you have double-digit growth in those sectors, it doesn't completely offset the, the collapse in the on the housing front. The good news for next year is that they have acknowledged that this is the problem. And so in the December Central Economic Work Conference, they actually said that they should not destroy the old before establishing the new. So that's a very clear admission that the previous uh, stance was not working. And so what we think we'll see in addition to fiscal stimulus is a lot more targeted support measures for the housing sector and in a differentiated approach. So enabling housing prices to go up in tier one cities so that there is some appreciation in, in home prices, some activity for developers, uh, some some better sentiment amongst Chinese consumers, um, and then refocusing all of their efforts on the third tier cities, where much of the sort of issue around the uh, unsold inventor the, the inventories of unsold homes remains. Um, now, for me, that suggests that we are going to likely see an inflection in terms of investment in the second half of the year, meaning it will continue to come down and then. It will inflect and slightly uh, and recover slightly in the second half, um, and that should put a stop on that uh, drag that the housing sector is having on GDP right now. So that's one of the factors. Um, we are also going to see a broadening of the recovery in consumption away from services towards services and goods. Um, that will come hand in hand with the stabilization in the housing sector, and we should continue to see exports uh, playing uh, a more positive role. Um, you know, the global uh, demand cycle is improving and hopefully not derailed by everything that's happening in the Red Sea. Um, and that is fueling exports from the region. Yes, there are economies that benefit more than China due to the supply chain relocation angle. Uh, look at uh, Korean exports or Taiwanese exports. Mm. Um, but Chinese export, China is embedded in global value chains regardless. So we are going to see that also play a role in terms of ins- ensuring that growth is around 4.5% next year. Okay, you mentioned the Red Sea. Let's talk about that because we are seeing um, geopolitical tensions impact the flow of trade uh, going between East and West. How much of a knock-on effect do you think will have on economic growth in the region as a result of those supply chain disruptions? You know, I think this is a bigger factor than people make it to be. Um, I think 15% of global trade goes through uh, the Red Sea, but of course, uh, you know, Due to geography, uh, the, the the proportion of Asia trade is actually larger than that. Mm. So the first uh, channel in, that it will impact Asia in three ways. I think the first one of those ways is through um, supply chain disruptions, and we are already seeing 
the cost of shipping uh, insurance go up and we are seeing delays already creating some issues. Uh, so that's going to have knock-on effects on inflation in the region um, and, and also globally. Um, the second point is um, oil prices. So, of course, uh, you know, very important for oil. We are seeing some upside pressures. Uh, most countries in Asia are net energy importers. And so it is not good for Asia in 2024. Um, if oil prices go up. And the third is also related to supply chain disruptions, but is in terms of the spillover effects that it might have globally. Um, if this exerts um, some pressure on inflation and you see a much slower decline in CPI in developed markets, the main one being the US, then you will see a much slower, less aggressive pace of rate cuts coming out of the US in 2024, which is not what the market is currently pricing. And of course, uh, once that gets repriced, you will see some pullback across um, risk assets, including U.S. equities, but of course, also emerging markets. Carlos, thanks as always for the chat. That was Carlos Casanova, senior economist with UBP, giving us his thoughts on some of the trends that we could see moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. China's economy really in the spotlight. Also, knock-on effects of the uh, trade disruptions that we're seeing from the Red Sea at the moment. Yeah, let's just see whether the the good numbers that we saw from China in 2023 reflect in 2024, but there are challenges ahead there. Indeed. Maybe we can turn our attention now to news from the U.S. banking sector because we have results from the major investment banks. Let's start with Goldman Sachs. Their fourth quarter profit rose 51% to $2 billion U.S. dollars, which actually beat analyst estimates. And this is as equity traders capitalized on recovery in markets and the increased revenue from its asset and wealth business offsetting any weakness in investment banking. Although beating expectations, full-year profit of $8.5 billion was the bank's lowest since 2019. If you unpack the numbers, what did well? Equity trading revenue up 26%, asset wealth management up 23%. What did not do so well? Investment banking fell 12% and fixed income currencies and commodities trading fell 24%. You know why I think uh, the stock did better than expected, even though, let's say, the the numbers were the worst in, what, four years? is because they guided well. And everyone Mm -hmm. expects 2023, it was was like a write-off year. They already said that 2023, they're going to refocus and look at their core business and be more simplified in terms of the business model. Uh, their CEO slash uh, DJ has promised no more DJ. I knew gigs. you were going to bring that I, up because that was fact. exactly what I thought as well when I saw that. <laughs> okay, so he's back to running the bank. The question is in terms of the outlook, right? So if capital markets continue to be soft and deal-making doesn't exist, And if markets aren't as volatile as they were, you actually might have a challenge in terms of delivering your equity, well, whatever trading income you hope to achieve. Mm. It is a tale of two halves, right? If you look at the financial sector, you see Goldman Sachs also doing this right-sizing. Citigroup also, I think, doing that right-sizing. But there are other parts of the financial ecosystem they're doing very well. For example, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, Morgan Stanley also reported uh, better-than-expected fourth-quarter earnings. Their revenue exceeded analyst expectations. uh, And they actually did, uh, had saw a Rebound in investment banking. Revenue from investment banking rose 5% from a year ago on the back of a 25% higher investment grade issuance. Yeah. I think one of the key things with respect to leadership, you talked a bit about uh, uh, DJ Dave Soul uh, from Goldman Sachs. You have also, uh, I think, with Morgan Stanley, James Gorman. I think he's exiting as the CEO of Morgan Stanley. Mm. And if you look at his track record, you know, when he came in about 12 years ago in 2010, the stock was trading about $25, $30. It's now at 80 
$3, right? Okay, that's really all thanks to his efforts to move increasingly into wealth management, yes. right? And even Goldman tried, you know, maybe not as successful as Morgan Stanley. JP Morgan definitely also has done well on that premise that there's just a lot of rich individuals out there looking at how to grow their and protect their investments. The point about Morgan Stanley is, however, they are warning that margins are going to be compressed, which does explain why the stock did come under pressure. During trading days, it was down $3.73 to $85.97. So their outlook, less positive than Goldman as yep. we go into 2024. All right, 7.19 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but when we come back, we'll continue covering the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.